for joining us today. I hope you're looking forward to the session as much as we all are. No, thank you so much, Ragini, for having me. Um, super excited for this conversation. Amazing. Okay, so before we kickstart, and of course, the room gets buzzing with questions, I'm going to engage you in a very quick game just for our members to know you a little bit better whenever you're ready. Sure, no, go for it. Amazing. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, you have to see the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following. The Nika IPO. Uh, breaking all the glass ceilings. If I could use three or four words, I just had to say that. <laughs> Junk food. Big no-no. Work from home. To each its own. The next big thing in D2C. I guess uh, D2C itself, uh, it's uh, it's just a booming. So D2C itself is the big next big thing in D2C. Trasio style startups. Um, interesting, I would say, for sure. Social media for sales. Absolutely necessary, but not sufficient. Nice. <laughs> Uh, I have my favorite one last. The weirdest thing you've heard from a VC. The weirdest thing that I've heard from a VC, um, I guess there are multiple things, uh, but if I uh, but if I have to pick one is uh, people are like, do families actually go out for shopping just for snacks? So I guess, you know, whenever you enter a room full of men, sometimes the basic shopping inside, which you expect because they are not doing the shopping for the entire family. Um, I just find it pretty, pretty bizarre that you have to explain the consumer journey of how uh, someone shops for snacks. So I think that is definitely the weirdest thing, I would say, yeah. apart from all the other things that I've heard. Yeah, no, I know. I keep telling my team this, I think, try building a network for women and explaining to a room full of men uh, why it's needed in the world. But thank you so much for being so rapid with those responses. We can't wait to hear more from you. So let's get going. For those of you who are joining us for the first time today, we've shared most of the questions that you all had shared with Ahana. And what we're going to do today is we're going to mix them up along with the questions that come on the chat box. So Please keep them coming, anything and everything D2C, and we're here to answer them. Uh, Ahana, I'm going to dive right into it. Of course, I've had the privilege of getting to know you and your very, very inspiring story over the last one year, but I'd love for our audience to hear it from you first as well. How has the journey been for Open Secret? The highs, the lows, the in-betweens, we'd love to hear it all. No, absolutely. I would, I would say that, you know, uh, at Opus Secret, we, we are building a purpose-driven brand. And whatever we do, we always start with the question, why? So let me just share a quick story of why I started Open Secret. And that goes back to my childhood. I think Ragini hinted that, that growing up in a, in a small city and uh, being raised by a working mother, um, I remember I used to come back from school would open all the uh, junk food or the packaged food which is available in the house um, and used to be a big, big junkie, which is now Ragini a big no for me. Uh, and literally, I was 3x my current size and I'm not even exaggerating. I was a very overweight kid 
And at that time, of course, did not have the exposure that how what you eat plays such an integral role in your health and wellness journey. So I think that experience definitely stayed with me. And the other thing I would say that coming from uh, a state which has the lowest female literacy rate, I also uh, first and experienced how the world is not a fair place when it comes to both the genders. So doing something uh, for, for women and bringing them along the journey, I think I always felt like a personal mission. And I, and I think that also stayed with me and is also an integral part of what we are building at Open Secret. Fast forward, uh, went to IIT Bombay. I was part of entrepreneurship cell, also used to do theater. And that's why I fell in love with storytelling and decided that I want to be in the consumer space pretty early on in my career. So worked with Procter & Gamble across different brands, different functions. Um, and then it, this was in 2014, I still remember, I knew I, I was going to Harvard Business School for my MBA, but I knew I wanted to come back and start something in consumer. Exactly what that clarity I got when I was in the U.S. Because if you go to U.S. and you go to any grocery store, let's say Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, they are basically the big bazaar in reliance of, of U.S., um, you will see aisles full of healthy, tasty, and convenient snacking for families to pick from. Um, and this reminded me of my own childhood. Like my mother did not have these options. At the same time, my sister-in-law back in India, uh, she was facing the same issue uh, with my niece as well. And that was something which was pretty bizarre to me that, you know, we talk about so much development that is happening in India, right? We have high-speed internet in our homes, but look at the snacks that the kids are eating. Uh, it's a huge, and if you look at the category size, it's a huge category. It's a $15 billion category. Yet, families in India, they did not have any access other than the chunk. So that became my personal mission and how Indian, I mean, of course, like if I ask you, does Indian families deserve better? Hell yeah, they do. And that's how the journey of Open Secret started. I wanted to learn a little bit more about food and consumer-first innovation. So that's why I spent a couple of years uh, in U.S. working with General Mills and then came back um, to India. The One of the bizarre questions which investors did not ask, but a lot of friends and family did ask me, he, oh, you're coming back because you did not get H1B. Is that the reason why? And I said, I have H1B, I have the visa, but I'm making a choice of coming back and making a difference in my country. So the questions, and I'm sure there are a lot of women out here, you will keep hearing bizarre questions, not only from investors, from friends, family sometimes also, but just um, keep crushing it. So yeah, coming back to the journey, I came back to open uh, India. And um, I think I spoke to a lot of mothers um, before I started Open Secret. And one thing which was very, very clear that mothers, there was a very clear tension which existed. And the tension was what mothers want their kids to eat and what kids want to eat are mutually exclusive. And every mother, whether she was in Calcutta or Bangalore or Bombay or Delhi has the same tension. And that is a tension that we decided to solve for. And that's what we call unjunking. So one thing which we stand for is unjunk family snacking. Everyone loves to eat their junk food uh, and we want you to enjoy whatever you want to eat. We'll just give you an unjunk version of it. And on this journey, mothers have been a true hot stars. And that's, that's the reason why we say we are building for the mothers. Amazing. So Ahana, a lot of our members, I, I see Tejaswani joining us, right? So a lot of people uh, today are starting their D2C journey, right? They're, they're literally on their day zero. So what are some of the fundamental things that a founder should prepare for uh, before starting a D2C brand? 
So I would say, first of all, um, you have to be very passionate about the problem that you're solving, right? Uh, for me, I'll tell you, when I was thinking about starting up, for me, there are certain filters I had. One, is it a big enough problem? Because I really wanted to go after a big uh, problem that I wanted to solve. Second, am I passionate about solving it? Sometimes that's the reason why you would also hear that if the problem resonates with you, then definitely automatically the passion comes in. And it's actually very, very important because this journey will have so many highs and lows that you need sometimes that passion to cook in when you are in the lowest space because that purpose, that passion will show you the light in the in the tunnel full of darkness, right? So that is extremely, extremely important. And But I will also give you a watch out that don't think you are the representation of the entire country, right? Sometimes we also make a mistake that, oh, this is what I like and everybody would like the same thing. So just be mindful of that. Of course, if if, if you are experiencing the problem, that's, that's amazing. But also just be mindful that there is a big chunk of people feeling the same way. So just to summarize, is it a big enough problem? Are you passionate about the solving? And the problem, if the answer is yes, then absolutely go for it. Love it. So I think you spoke about research and you spoke about, you know, the, the startup, this thing. How did Open Secret get its first, say, thousand paying customers? What was that journey like? So I think, first of all, um, what you absolutely need to be sure about is what is the problem that you're solving, right? And uh, we call it, um, like, I don't know if you've heard about job to be done. Job to be done is basically a customer is buying your product to do a job that they want to get done in their life. So for example, um, a lot of people say that, you know, uh, Open Secret is a cookie brand or Open Secret is a chip brand. That's not who we are. The customer, when they think about, let's say, 6 p.m. snacking, they think about, okay, I want to eat something nice. Okay, I want to eat something sweet or I want to eat something salty. So, and that's the reason why we say that we are a platform where you can come and you can buy whatever products that you are, um, that you want to try for that 6 p.m. snacking. And this cookie approach or chips approach is a very like key account manager approach. So always, always start with the consumer and with the job to be done. So that is the most important thing. And when you are, when a customer is buying you, you need to ensure, are you delivering on the job to be done? So our promise would have been that, you know, you want a 6 p.m. snack, uh, you want an unjunked snack, and we are doing that. So if you feel that you're delivering on, on the value, then of course, getting the thousand customers or, and if it's a big enough problem, then getting a lakh customers or million customers will not be easy, uh, will, will actually not be difficult. But the most important thing is identifying what you stand for, what your positioning is, why the customers are buying you, what is the job to be done that you're owning, and is it a big enough problem? That sequencing, if it happens, then uh, the scaling up will not be that difficult. And, and specific to, of course, now open secret, right? What are the channels that have worked for you all specifically for customer acquisition, so to speak? And how has that been different in, say, year one versus year two? We'd, we'd love to know a little bit about Yeah, that. No, I would say that we are a COVID baby, right? We launched and COVID happened. So initially, when we started, we were 50% offline, 50% online. So we were thinking about acquisition in a very different manner. We said, okay, we're going to acquire customers in offline as well. We're going to acquire customers maybe in online. And then, of course, bam, like COVID hit, right? So then we we took a step back and we said, you know, why waste our prices? And I think this is something as a, as a founder, I would say that 
it's it's Murphy's law. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And what is the most important thing is like resilience. And there will be moments where things might not go as planned and you need to be resilient and you just need to ensure having that problem solving mindset is extremely important. So during COVID, we, we completely moved towards online. So to answer your question, Ragini, for us, the way to acquire customer is through our website, which is uh, D2C. And for that, you, you use all the social media, which is a pretty standard thing, right? Performance marketing, brand awareness, all those things. But at the same time, in, in the categories where we are present in, in snacking, the more visible you are, the bigger brand you become, right? So even distribution expansion was a very strategic um, uh, acquisition channel. If you are visible on Big Basket, if you are visible in offline, if you are visible on Amazon, people are identifying you and they're, um, so it's both you leveraging the social media, but at the same time, leveraging different distribution channels because this is the, and, and then again, it is very, very category specific. Uh, and again, the other thing which I would say, guys, you need to be very focused about your customer where is the customer how the customer is shopping from like a lot of the times people say you are a d2c brand and i don't call ourselves a d2c brand you know that's a very egoistic version we are a very consumer first brand and who we are serving we are serving families and who is who's the shopper a mother is the shopper from a family and where is the shopping from there are few mothers who are going and buying from a kirana store so we will be on the kirana store there are few mothers who are going to go and buy from big basket and brokers we will be there and there are few mothers who just want to buy directly from the website um, and they are pretty like tech savvy then we will be on the website and they have a completely different customer experience so every channel will have a very different strategic role to play so you need to understand what that channel is doing for you from a broad strategy perspective and then how you want to be visible in that particular channel it will be your uh, customer acquisition strategy Got it. Um, I, I know you love storytelling. We've spoken about this quite a bit as well. Apurva actually has a very relevant question. Apurva, do you want to unmute yourself and ask Ahana your question? Um, sure. Uh, hi, Ahana. Sorry, we have two Apurvas today. <laughs> I'm picking the one on storytelling. Um, well, one thing that you said while you were in IIT, you said that, you know, you picked up storytelling while you were also, you know, in theater and I have like noticed across different like uh, uh, you know entrepreneurs just talking like how storytelling is so important and that is something that you know help them you know convince their customers or convince uh, investors so I just really would like to know what your storytelling journey was because it is something that you know you can't really write down points for you know or do this do this do this but like it's something that you end up you know, just learning over the time period. So I'd just like to know what your journey was. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would say, Apurva, as a founder, um, it's extremely important that you, what is storytelling? The storytelling is to communicate your vision in a very compelling manner. That is what the story is. And there is absolutely no one who can tell the story of your brand better than the founder. So A, I would say extremely critical skill set, and you should definitely spend time in understanding what the vision is, what inspired you to do it, and communicate in a very authentic manner. If you actually do it authentically, you will realize that it's, it's pretty simple. I think what people do sometimes is um, just, if you, if you say, I have to build a story around it, then uh, everyone is smart enough to figure out 
that it's not genuine, right? You actually need to go deep within what drives you, what was the decision which led you to start something and come up with a vision which you feel that can excite whether it's your employees, whether it's your investors and whether it's your consumers and then craft that narrative as authentically as possible. Thank, uh, thank you for that, Ahana. I'm going to jump uh, straight in, Ahana, to the big effort uh, funding, of course. At what point do you think um, is it advisable to raise funds for a D2C brand, right? Because I think especially the initial years are very, very slow, can be very, very painful. So would love to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I would actually start with a very controversial statement, which you will hear that, you know, VCs don't add a lot of value. And I think that's a very lazy way of putting uh, putting something on, on the investors. I think it's, it's your responsibility to ensure that you are engaging your investors. You are asking the right questions and you are including them in all the strategic decision making. So let me just start by saying that VCs do add a lot, can, can. VCs can add a lot of value beyond capital. So think from that perspective, be very, very mindful of who you are bringing to the cap table. That is number one. Number two, I'll share my own personal story, right? Um, I raised my first round uh, where the idea was on a piece of paper. Um, I did not have the product. It was a pre-product fundraise. Um, and even my series, it was like um, inbound, right? So we have been fortunate in that sense that the story that we are creating, the market we are going after, it has excited the investors and they have reached out and there has been driven by inbound. And to answer your question, Ragini, I think it's a personal choice. I know a lot of founders who want to do PMF and they then want to go uh, and talk to the VCs. In our case, I was very, very clear that uh, the problem that we wanted to solve, uh, very, very confident about that we are going after a big, uh, big enough uh, market. Uh, we knew that it's a big white space. There's no one solving it, uh, the product idea that we had. So in that sense, now we were very clear that we wanted to bring investors who can add a lot more value beyond capital. So whether it was Matrix, whether it was Vijayashika Sharma or Vivek Kambir, um, just wanted to get right mentors on this journey. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Now, even now, when I close my series, I wanted to get a consumer investor on board because they can bring some expertise when it comes to consumer. So think about the the way you want to leverage the investors. B, I would say it depends on your own journey. Um, if, if, uh, and the second thing I would say that, again, don't think that the initial journey uh, will be slow. Just to give you an example, we grew uh, 10X in last one year. And it's not just us. I've also heard great success stories. Um, so once... It's, it is no hard and fast rule that it will take a couple of years for PMF or it will take two months for PMF. Everyone will have their own unique journey. And the biggest mistake that you can do is trying and uh, copying someone's journey. Just, just it, it will be your at, at your own pace if you feel you are ready. Uh, and also, like, don't get me wrong. If you are taking VC money, you are your fiduciary duty is to uh, give them return. So, if you're not confident about the return, of course, don't take it. But if you're very, very confident that I know how we will be able to give them a higher return because we know the growth trajectory, we, we feel very confident about the business plan. Yes, why not go for it? Got it. And you spoke about PMF, and of course, how do you now? define PMF specifically for your D2C brand, right? And is it a continuous process? Is there a 
certain milestone that you kind of achieve and when you say that okay now i've hit pmf so how does it work specific to d2c brands yeah so i think there are a few metrics that you can think about when you think about pmf right uh, one I, and i'll give a very tactical answer because you've yeah. seen um, uh, the big picture from a pmf perspective but few things which you should definitely be doing uh, one thing which you obsess about is nps which is net promoter score um and that is the only forward looking metric you know rest all, all of the kpis that you would be tracking will be historical right that will tell you whether you will be getting a good repeat or not so be very very sure like for example that open secret at nps is 70 and we monitor it very very closely sometimes it has gone down but we work very hard towards that how can we uh improve the nps because that you know that people who are trying the product they're loving the product second of course retention so you know cohort uh understanding whether people are coming back or not um uh, for us there are certain other kpis as well like um if people have loved the cookies like more than 60% of customers who are coming to our website they're buying more than one category given that we want to own snacking we want to own unjunking uh, we wanted to understand whether people are filling their basket with multiple options that we have from open secret so this is a very some like a kpi very specific for pmf for open secret but i'm just giving as an example that there has to be certain important uh, kpis that you should be tracking the other thing that we track um, uh, from a pmf perspective is who are we stealing from right a little bit about open secret when i say we wanted to play in the deep categories uh, who are we competing with we are competing with the incumbent brands the legacy brands uh, the 15 billion dollar category that i'm talking about there are three big fmcg companies who would have 60 to 70% market share right we are not a brand who's who's going to do category creation what are who we are we believe that india is a very very supply constrained market people are consuming junk and we want to give them a better for you option so for us to understand that we are hitting the pmf it's important that are we stealing the market share from these big brands and that is what we saw that you know we were stealing the market share from the number one cookie brand um or or the big fmcg brand that you think about so this is something that we closely track because this is an integral part of our thesis that we are becoming a challenger brand and people are preferring open secret over what they have been consuming over the past two years so just giving you a very tactical answer yeah. uh, uh but have the very standard kpis like nps retention which you all should be are doing and then very uh, closer to your thesis something that you want to track based on your business model got it so dhwani actually has a follow up question on you know how do you really build this trust or how do you how do you kind of build that as a brand dhwani do you want to unmute yourself uh, and yeah sure thanks ragini hey ahana so um, what i actually wanted to ask you was going beyond nps uh, to track brand love uh, because nps is obviously the uh, the obvious way to track you know brand perception and brand love but i'm just trying to think of other ways in which you can measure brand love i think there is um, another question which a lot of brands have done honestly we have not done it but i've heard that brands have uh, gotten good result is uh, the habit question and they say if open secret was not present would you miss or would you be missing something so somewhat agree uh, completely agree disagree i think that is also a way to understand if you don't exist in this world um, how would the consumer feel So this is some other like a habit question which you can ask a customer as well. 
Dhwani, does that answer your question? Should I? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to think about uh, brand love. Thank you so much. Cool. So I, I remember Tanvi had this question from the registration form. Uh, her question is, do you have any practical and creative tips on customer acquisition and retention in year one of your brand? Um, this is, of course, beyond NPS and, and measuring numbers. It's data. And I know it's very boring, but I can't tell you how yes. important <laughs> it is to just analyze data. And I'm sorry, marketing has become data. You have to understand what kind of creating is working for you, whether it's video, whether it's static, whether the logo should be placed on the left side, should the logo come in the first five seconds. And it just discipline data monitoring. And that is the answer. And if, if you are in marketing, I think that is something you have to build, build that capability in-house. Um, so this is from a customer acquisition perspective. And a lot of people tell me, oh, CAC is going up. I say, don't tell me CAC is going up. Tell me where is the issue? Is frequency the issue? Is CPM the issue? Is CTR the issue? Is conversion the issue? That is the level of data and conversations you need to have. Just don't talk about where oh, the CAC has gone up. And, uh, and this is going to be the biggest uh, differentiator, whether it's customer acquisition, whether it's retention, um, understand uh, cross-selling, upselling, just be, uh, but just be very, very data-driven. And I tell this to my team in my sales and marketing call. I said, don't talk to me in English. Just talk, tell me numbers. I just don't want, like in a sentence, if you don't have numbers and you are not uh, sharing the business update in the right manner, like you have to be so data-driven that, oh yes, it went up, it went by how much percentage, what did not work, what did work. So if you really want to understand marketing in year one or in year 10, it has to be data. No, I, I love that answer. I see Vishwani smiling as well. Snigda has a relevant question speaking of data. Snigda, do you want to unmute yourself and ask Ahana your question? Yeah. Hi, Ahana. Uh, so uh, the question that I had is uh, like uh, when in like you are a D2C brand, though uh, I know you won't love to call you uh, call us at that. But since every brand right now is uh, moving to C and uh, like even the Universe or the ITC, every brand is looking for that. So I do think that consumer directly going to a website becomes a little difficult. So. Uh, in this space, how do you find your brand? Uh, like, what are the opportunities for your brand? And I would also love to know, like, uh, what is the market share or the revenue that you get from the uh, web, uh, website itself? Got it. So, Snitha, just to ensure that I understood your question correctly, first thing you asked me that uh, every like all the incumbent brands are also launching their website so how do you compete with them i guess that is the first question and the second question is how much revenue does d2c contribute um, uh, for us right yeah yeah got it so let me just start by first we are not competing with incumbent brands based on GDM. Go-to-market strategy is not what we are competing against. What we are competing is basic product. You know, what is the positioning? And, and I think somebody yesterday, only someone was asking me that why can't Britannia or ITC do what you're doing? And I told them it's very difficult for a company to own junk and unjunk at the same time. If your entire revenue stream is coming by selling junk, um, how are you going to disrupt yourself and sell unjunk, right? And this goes back to job to be done. 
uh, will you trust Unilever if it has junk and unjunk at the same time? The customer is not going to trust you. Uh, even you are not um, you are not going to stand for any job to be done. So that is the number one thing uh, that we are not worried about the GTM. The second thing is. Uh, the way we also think about innovation and, um, you know, innovation is not just about product innovation. Um, just to give you an example, and this goes back to, you know, during COVID, um, we, we had this mindset of why waste a crisis. When the second wave was happening, and I'm sure everyone was going through a tough phase, we launched into two categories. We launched, um, and, and that is the agility and the speed and the innovation that we are talking about because we are so consumer first that we hear from the customers. In the next four weeks, we have four launches coming up. That kind of agility, you will not hear from the incumbent brands because that's not what their quota is. Their quota is they have a certain cash cow and they just know how to leverage it. So from that perspective, what they're doing, um, we don't think about they are gonna, they're good at selling junk. They're gonna do that. They're, they're not the, the fastest. And I think that is something that we're gonna keep doing. And the third thing I would say is innovation goes beyond product. We are reimagining uh, the FMCG value chain. So um, D2C, all of these things are pretty standard. But what we are doing is, for example, if I have to give an example of offline, the offline, playbook so far has been that you need to have a sales officer or the sales officer needs to go to every store and needs to get an order. What we are doing is entire fishing and farming is happening via WhatsApp and online because we're working with local distributors in Northeast, in Odessa, in Andaman, in Nicobar, and they're placing the order on WhatsApp and they're calling and they're actually paying you in advance. Working capital is such a big issue in our business. Um, and especially in offline, getting money from the retailer is such an issue, but here we are getting the money in advance. So we here, to be very honest, I don't even spend time thinking about what the incumbent brands are doing. For me, my biggest energy is how can we just reimagine the FMCG value chain? And that's what we're doing. This uh, this online um, fishing and farming for the offline model is just one, just one example. Uh, so uh, just a follow up for the same. So one of the things that I wanted to understand was that uh, when we are saying D2C, since every channel is, every brand is right now moving to D2C, it becomes difficult for the consumer itself to go directly to the website of uh, different brands and uh, buy from there. So uh, that is where I was looking for key, uh, how you identify yourself in this space and the second thing was uh how much uh if uh like out of the what is the percentage approximate amount share that we get from a d2c website that's actually a very good question like then i think uh, that's extremely important especially in the food business right if you think about a mother that we are going after uh, and snack is, is also a low involved category so she just wants a destination where she can go and buy and fill the basket and that is the reason why, if you see, we are we expanded from just from one category to six categories. It's because we want to become that go-to destination for a mother that she can fill that basket with some cookies and some chips and some nuts and some chocolate, so that she doesn't have to go to um, multiple uh, destinations. And that's we actually aspire to become a preferred platform for all the mothers to come and shop from. And that's the reason why people say, you know, why don't we just do cookies? Why can't we just in increase our market share? Just keep doing this. But the idea was no one is going to go and just come and 
that's not how a mother shops. Again, every single time you have to go back to the consumer. What is the consumer doing? A consumer is going to a Kirana store or is going to a big basket for the snacking trip, adding maybe four or five products. And from a D2C perspective, that's the same journey that we want to provide to a mother. But this journey is going to be more curated. This journey is going to to be full of unjunking so that she can trust this platform that, okay, here I will be getting unjunked products. But absolutely, you're right. You have to understand the customer and why they should be coming to your website. That is number one. And I think I missed answering your question. I think around 25 to 30% of our revenue comes from our D2C website. Thank right. you so much. Cool. Shavi, I think that answers a little bit of your question as well. Shweta has a question on product pricing. Um, Shweta, do you want to unmute and ask your question? Hey, Ahana. Thanks, Ragani. Uh, I wanted to ask about how do you maintain a balance between what you're trying to achieve, which is a macro-level junk food problem, versus keeping your products at a price point so that more people can afford it. Because junk food brands, because of their legacy and their volumes that they operate in, they're able to price uh, like a good day or something at 15 or 20 rupees. But then the healthy brands are obviously priced a little more. So how do you sort of make that balance uh, meaningful You know, as you go along? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question again, Shweta. And I would say this is something which I tell to my team as well. That, you know, sometimes we dumb down the consumer. We say, and a lot of people say this, but I have a lot of respect for Indian mothers. And let me tell you, they're very, very value conscious. And I'm sure it's true for Indian consumers as well. You should be so focused on the value that you're providing, right? Um, and that is something which we have seen. Um, our products are priced, let's say, 35 rupees, uh, which has two cookies. And a lot of the time, people would be, Bombay, Bangalore, this is the market. But more than 50% of my revenue comes from outside top cities. Because a mother understands that a meda is about 20 rupees per kg, but an almond is about 700 rupees per kg. So she understands the value that we are providing. So my uh, answer to you would be that first and foremost, be very very value conscious having said that of course there will be a journey that you would have to take it with the brand when we started uh, with unjunking we started with unjunking with nuts which is a more premium segment uh, it, uh, but at the same time uh, it was important because we wanted to have a 10x differentiated product but now as you will see more and more innovation coming from open secret uh, we would be catering to a different price point as well but at the but in the beginning it was all about creating the value creating the trust owning and junking and on this on this journey it's not a question of if it's a question of when um, so in the beginning just be focused on value okay, thank you uh, we'll take one last question from Saru specific to D2C and then I, I have some more questions on, you know, just, just how do you manage uh, what motivates you and all of that. Saru, do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? Yes. Thanks, Ragini. Hi, Ahana. I'm having a great, great session here. So my question, I'm just going to read it out to try to make it clear. Are you as passionate about the back-end procurement of the products and uh, you know, what are your KPIs when it comes to that? Because, you know, you talked about creating a basket of products for people who come to your website. And also, do you ever consider going B2B, considering it might, um, you know, enhance uh, your financial uh, stability in a way 
because um, I'm coming from a viewpoint because I have a brand of my own. Uh, I'm from the textile industry in uh, scarves. So, you know, sometimes I, it's very lucrative for me to help other brands procure from me because, you know, probably my back end is strong and, you know, I do a lot of uh, good procurement. So what are your views on that? Got it. So I think the first question you're asking as a founder, I'm passionate about back end. I think that's the that's the first question, right? If I understood it correctly. Got it. So I would say, Saru, as a CEO of the organization, what is my job? My job is to solve the most difficult problem of the organization. And it doesn't matter whether it's front end, it's back end, it's customer facing or tech. Because I cannot outsource the most difficult problem. So to answer your question, there are days when I'm sitting at the plant and I'm just focusing on um, building good processes, ensuring that we have the KPIs. So, so definitely uh, you have to wear different hats and the hats keep on changing based on what the company demands. That's that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, from a B2B perspective, uh, are you talking about doing a, like making cookies for some other brands? Is that... So that, and again, I'm just gonna give my perspective, Saru. For us, what are we doing? What is the mode that we are building? The mode is the brand, right? Um, and and that's the reason why we're not gonna do any private label because every effort in the beginning that we're gonna put is to build a brand, to build a trust among mothers. Um, and I think at this stage, it's going to be a huge distraction if you do something just for the financials. Thanks, that makes sense, thanks. We'll take Anusha's question next. Um, Anusha, you have a question on just how do you take advice from most investors? So do you wanna unmute yourself and ask Ahana your question? Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks Ragini. Ahana, um, actually I am trying to uh, launch an eco-friendly toy brand and one of the most important question literally every pitch is uh, you're a female solo founder why don't you look for another co-founder because the journey is going to be very lonely so this is something so do I really concentrate on product and product launch or actually think of you know finding somebody else you know who would uh, who would have the same passion and the you know end goal how important is it because everybody that i've met said that you know co-founder is very important so do you uh, you know start the journey and look for a co-founder uh, along the you know launch or uh, how does it how did it work for you so anusha i'll take a step back and i will answer this question but before that i have to tell you something yeah. on the journey there will be 10 different people telling you 10 different things and as a founder, it's extremely important to have a very strong conviction of what you want to do. Uh, and you need to filter out uh, advices based on what people are giving, you know, because you can't be a pendulum. Let's say if you meet a person and the person says, you have to have a co-founder, like I want to have a co-founder. And the person says, no, no, it's fine. You don't have to co-founder. Like, oh, I don't need a co-founder. My feedback or my advice to you would be, you need to have a very strong conviction what you want to do. Of course, you connect with people, you get their feedback, synthesize it, and do what you feel like doing. So to answer this question, Anusha, always think about, do you think, are there any skill sets that you are missing right now? Do you need a partner to uh, bridge that gap? Or there could be multiple ways. I don't think there is a straight answer. Like people who tell me, this is a way to build a, a, build a brand, or this is a way to build a business, absolutely bullshit. 
if there are n number of ways to build a brand, you have to find your authentic path. If you feel that you have a team um, and within the team, you can divide the roles um, and can launch this product, go for it. Uh, but if you feel yourself that like you is a, I cannot answer this question, but you have to answer this question for yourself. If you feel that, uh, no, there are certain skill sets and I don't have the right team and it will require a co-founder heavy lifting, then, then, then maybe you can look for it. But again, it's your, it's your call, but, and, and I keep telling uh, a lot of, there are n number of investors I talk and everyone has a very different point of view. And sometimes you're like, create advice but let i'll do what i what i feel like is the right thing and it could be wrong i mean it's fine but you need to have a very strong conviction about what you're building sure thank you ipsita has a question on your hbs journey ipsita uh, do you want to ask kahana your question yes um Hi, Ahana. Ipsadan uh, here. So normally when we, so currently now that uh, capital is a little bit, bit of easier to raise, so it has been that, you know, most of the other uh, startups are getting funded. But uh, normally when we think about any unicorn or any sort of thing, um, so it's one one poster, IITNs, and then XYZ uh, company they would have worked on, and they are the kind of poster. Now, is there like your, because SBS is something which considered to be really a good brand, um, one of the most important brand probably. In that case, did it really help in any aspect of building your um, company? Uh, fundraising could be about brand positioning, any sort of thing that did really help. Got it. So first of all, Lipsita, I would start by saying that IIT and HBS are neither necessary nor sufficient uh, <laughs> to have a successful business. So to answer your question uh, from a fundraise perspective, because I come from HBS, investors are smarter than that. They are future forward looking and they are not historical like backward looking. So if they feel the idea is a good, we have a good team, then they're going to invest. No one is going to um, um, give money just because what you have done in the past, right? Of course, it's very, very forward looking. Having said that, it definitely helps in terms of network, right? You have access to um, uh, to a lot of great folks. You can go to them, you can get their advice, you can have a, and that's what even the uh, leap is offering, right? Leap is making you like connect with the with the rest of the uh, fantastic rock star women, and I think that's what HBS has actually done. That it connected it, it provided uh, a fabulous group of uh, alums, which I can go and uh, have a conversation with. But as I said, neither necessary nor sufficient. Um, you have to put all your degrees in an Almira, lock it, throw the three into the ocean, and just put your head down and work. Sure. Thank you so much. So no one's going to IIT and no one's going to HBS. Great. I love that. <laughs> okay, um, I think our next question is very, very relevant. And you know, Anna, I keep saying this as a founder, you die 10 times a day. So, so Lakshana has a question on just general motivation. So Lakshana, I know you have two questions, but do you want to unmute yourself and ask maybe one in the interest of time? Yes. Hi, so I'm Sulakshana. Um, kind of similar, uh, you know, customer base and everything I see when I'm talking to you. Uh, the only thing is I've already started one and a half year back. And uh, I have a story similar to as a mother, uh, which started a brand for. But in the last, um, you know, one, one and a half year, I think I have stuck so many times and I feel a little 
like you know on a daily basis you're doing the same drill for you know as well as along with that you are trying to think how to push the ceiling ahead and you know uh, because i never thought of funding i am been bootstrapping the whole uh, venture till now so um, i wanted to understand what really motivates you when you did you feel stuck did you feel that no we need to grow like when we say 10x you obviously work on goals but sometime you know there is a thing like am i doing something wrong or you know things are not working even if you are pushing hard how how it actually happens <laughs> no i would say lakshana um, there are days i mean there is such a roller coaster emotional roller coaster right there are ups and downs and and trust me there are days we are like oh my god what is happening but i tell you what has worked for me personally it's the purpose going back to the purpose um the reason why i started open secret um it was i struggled my mother uh, i struggled that how my mother was not able to find something nutritious for the family then i saw my sister in law struggle i spoke to so many mothers um so that is like i'm so driven by the purpose that we are um, that that we are going after that that gives me energy and that gives me the light during the darkest times and at the same time i'll give you like very small example every brand has a purpose and then every brand has a very core belief system you know our purpose is that we want to make every indian family snack better and this is the mission we are going after we want to go after each and every household but a belief system is that we want uh, to bring women on this journey you know a lot of the times brands keep themselves on the pedestal and they say let me tell you what you should be eating or what your family should be eating and we said no if there is someone who knows what's best for the family it's the mother she's the secret that's why the name brand open secret she's the real north star and we want to keep her on the pedestal and that's why even the messaging that we have is you know what is best there is a lot of judgment and guilt that you go through so i always think about the messages that you get from from mothers that you know um, the love that you get from the customers even uh, and it's very important for me as well as for the brand that we are bringing more women onto this journey all the products that you see on our website or anywhere else so this is manufactured in our own facility so far and from day one we decided that we're going to hire women um, on the shop floor because we want if i truly believe we really want to empower women make them financially independent and then we recently launched open secret mother program where we are inviting mothers to join back the workforce so if you if you just take a step back you know of course there is a fire drill which happens every single day but if you take a step back and you think about the purpose of making india snack better bringing women on this journey um, of course it has been a missing gender so that will give you trust me that will give you the strength and the light during the darkest times um, and the other a very tactical advice uh, i will also tell you which really helped me is how you react to a certain situation your entire life is going to be described by that you know whenever something uh bad used to happen right my initial reaction used to be oh my god why did this happen how did this happen but now i always switch on the problem solving mode i don't think about why and I, the only question which i answer is how can i solve it that's all if something a shit has happened shit will happen but don't emotionally react to the situation just think about uh how can i solve it and it sounds very simple it's a big mindset shift 
and I can't emphasize how important it is to have the right mindset when you are building. So it should not come from a place of anxiety that shit is happening. It should come from a place of problem happen as always. Oh, this is great. I think. Thank you so much. Um, we have two questions, uh, slightly different but similar, from Vidhi and Trishti uh, on hiring. But we'll just take Shubha's question before we get to that. Shubha, do you want to ask Ahana your question? Sure. Thanks, Ragini. Uh, Ahana, just a quick question. You mentioned, you know, there was a question around co-founders and. Um, what uh, investors say. So leaving all that aside, just a quick question on your journey. You said you raised around uh, pre-product. Was that with a team in place and or a co-founder or was it just you and uh, a deck? <laughs> uh, I actually do not even have a, a deck. It was on a piece of paper, but it, it happened simultaneously. You know, I was I started the, kicked off the conversation um, and then I also got the co-founder along the same time. So simultaneously, I would say. Okay, great. Thank you. Shrishti, do you want to ask your question? So I think Shrishti's uh, question is more on the first few hires. And then Vidhi, of course, has one on the 1 to 10. So Shrishti, do you want to ask your question? And then uh, we can yeah, with these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Ragini. Uh, so yeah, so basically my question was just how do you build that initial core team that really believes in your vision as much as you? Right, because these are the people who are kind of going to be, uh, you know, helping you build something really big, right? And when your business scales, they will become far more important. So to have a strong foundation, they really need to believe in your vision as much as you, right? So how do you kind of go about that hiring process, and how do you kind of instill that same belief in them? Yeah, no, I think Shushi, that's a that's a great question. I think. Again, let me just take a step back and say, what is the role of the CEO? The role of the CEO are three things. One is vision setting. Uh, and these are the three things that you cannot outsource, right? First is vision setting, which is what is the vision? What is the direction that the company should be going towards? The second, I would say, is culture and team building. If this is not, I cannot hire an HR and, do, and ask the HR to have. I'm a big, big believer of having the right culture from from day one and this, uh, this will also help answering your question as well and the third thing is fundraising like this is how i think about my role that these are three things which i'm actually responsible for now deep uh, double clicking on the hiring question shishti uh the first and foremost uh, what you need to sell is the purpose and the vision for example i really wanted people who are absolutely great at what they do, but they're also very, very purpose-driven because that's the kind of culture I wanted to build. So culture and hiring to me was um, hand in hand. Um, if you are uh, maybe like a cast performer, but not a good fit, uh, not a good cultural fit, then it will not work because the single most biggest supporter enabler on the scale up journey is going to be culture. So firstly, identify the kind of people who will be successful uh, working with you, working in your organization. And then you have to go and sell your vision. Then you have to you have to be the salesperson, right? Whatever you sell to investors, you have to sell to hires as well. And I would say for me, the, the, the due diligence is not when investor is giving you money. The due diligence is also when you're getting rockstar people joining your organization. Um, so I'll tell you, for example, my co-founder of this, right? He is... Um, uh, IT Kharagpur, PNG, I'm Ahmedabad, McKenzie. He joined as the chief operating officer because and the co-founder because he believed in the problem that we are going after, right? Recently, um, I 
hired Ritika Tamani. She's IIT Bombay Institute, ranked to uh, Harvard Business School, uh, worked at BCG, built a salon business and urban company. And she joined as chief growth officer. Why? Purpose and culture. So these are the two things. And, and again, you have to wear the salesperson hat and need to bring in people. And if good people are joining you, that's also like a due diligence uh, as, as important as what investors do. Okay, thank you so much. That really answers it. Thank you. Vidhi, do you want a follow-up? Yeah, hi, Hana. Thanks for the lovely session. Um, so I'm the founder of a jewelry label and we've been around for about 10 years. So throughout the journey and we have self-funded. So, you know, we always thought we'll get to a certain level and then do the right hiring. And then, you know, you're trying to balance whether, you know, get to the level first or hire the team first. So any tips on that would be, would be really helpful. I would say really hire the best talent. You know, the opportunity cost of hiring a mediocre talent, that is the worst decision that you can make. You know, because if you have a bad hire, you will fire the person. If you have the best hire, that's great. But the problem with the mediocre hire is you will also not be able to fire that person. So um, you don't realize, but you could have grown 10x, but just because you had a mediocre person, you are just growing to x. So the opportunity cost, the value that you're leaving on the table, it's so much that always over-index um, in, in getting the best talent. And the reason is something which I know that, which is so true that when you hire uh, A or I would say like B class team, right? They are definitely gonna hire class C and class D under them. So it's a slippery slope. What you need to ensure is you hire um, A team and then they will ensure they're hiring A plus team under them. You need to become a talent magnet. And in today's um, world, where there's so much money floating, talent is becoming so like a limited asset, right? So that is going to be the big differentiation. And what is a startup? A startup is execution. It's 99% execution. And you can't build a brand or you can't build a business just on your own. You need good people. So for me, don't settle and get the best talent early on they will figure out they will grow and they will figure out um, a business plan for you which can justify the amount that you are planning to pay them thank you no very well put. thank you so much since we're speaking of money and talent uh, i can't help but think of uh, tech uh, ruhi do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question uh, hi ahana be the last one guys we're very very close to closing time ahana does have a hard stop at 7 30 so yeah, we'll take Ruhi's questions. Uh, okay. questions. So I'll keep it quick. So I am an early uh, founder. I've been told so we are a team of two people. I have had people connecting. So I also I'm a non-tech person. So and we are building something wherein we, you know, we are building a consumer tech product. So I've had people who had reached out to me, and I have been part. I've been doing it since like a, since August, and you know, I've I'm doing it full time. But I've had people who are reaching out to me with the expectation of same equity. I think. Equity is not the problem, but I think, you know, you need to take time to understand the commitment one has to product. Also with the understanding that the person would come full time once we have funding. So what are the metrics that one should look at, you know, while dividing the equity? So again, I think Ruhi, the way you need to think about it, and that's how I think about the organization, right? I really want people to feel valued. And it's my responsibility that they feel valued. Uh, because when they are performing, I don't accept mediocre performance from them. I want the best in class. And in return, I really need to take care of them. 
So you always have to bring a win-win mindset. So now going back, uh, it depends, you know, what do you want? You have to offer something. Uh, so it could be uh, uh, given if you if you don't have, don't want to offer cash, then of course ESOP is a very good option. Uh, so you can offer them ESOP. But if you're not sure about ESOP, then you can just tell them that, you know, this is the cash component. Maybe two months down the line, we can have a uh, equity ESOP conversation based on your uh, based on your performance. There are different constructs. Uh, and this is very tactical but you can also have a variable pay link, right? Uh, let, let's say the company grows from 10 lakhs to 50 lakhs and then 10% of the additional revenue uh, you can earn. You can become, like this is wearing the marketing hat, building a construct, but again, you need to ensure the percent is being valued. What, what does the person need? And, and it's your job to figure out what would work for them, not their job. So multiple construct, variable pay, cash, high cash, low cash, ESOPs, um, and then and then figure out uh, what, what drives them. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck on that search, Ruhi. Uh, thank you so much, Ahana, for such an insightful, interesting conversation and being so candid as usual. We loved having you here and ladies, you were amazing as ever. We'll see you on the next Sleep Talk Club experience.